0: All right, we turn to these two commandments, and as you guys know, each year we try to go back to gospel, community, hospitality, and evangelism, round eight in a lot of ways, and I try to introduce it in different ways so that we don't forget we've been talking about the two great commandments, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind, and the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself, right? And from that, we've asked these questions each week. For those of you who are regular attenders and members of Christ the King, for those of you who have identified yourselves as Christians, the question has to be asked, how does our focus on these four things, gospel, community, hospitality, and evangelism, encourage us to obey God? Okay, And and God's serious. These two great commandments on which hang all of the law and the prophets. So you have to ask yourself, if this is important. The law, all of the law and the prophets. Loving God with heart, soul, and mind. All of it. Loving our neighbors as ourselves. How do these focuses on gospel, community, hospitality, evangelism help? If you're here today and you're not a Christian. And you have said, look, I'm just here interested in knowing what this group of people thinks and, and how they gather. I want you to ask a question about this group of people as you watch and as you witness. I want you to ask this question, what is it that makes the church attractive? What is it that makes the church attractive? And here's the answer that I want you to consider. The answer that I want you to consider in both of those categories is that we are called to love one another. Now I'm excited about this text because in a lot of ways I have wondered in my own mind the love that we have for one another. Is it compared to the love the Lord with all of your heart and soul and mind? Or does it fit more in the category of loving our neighbor as ourselves? And as one commentator wrote this week, wrote this essentially saying, Love for the brothers and the sisters in the church. Love for the beloved, those who are loved by God. Those who are in the church is only part of the expression of what it means to love the Lord your God with heart, soul, and mind. But it is an indispensable part. You can just read verse 21 that we're going to get to in just a minute and see that very thing said. And this is, command we have from him whoever loves God must also love his brother so looking at this briefly let's look at the command the command to love let's then look at the invitation to live in the reality of this love and finally let's look at the test of living in that love so the first is the command look at those verses in seven and eight Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. Whoever loves God must love the beloved. Whoever loves God must love the church. Now, you go, wait a minute, the church has got a lot of issues. The church is, as an institution has got issues. Wait a minute, the church is not an institution. The church is living stones built together, God dwelling among us. And we must love the church. We see here that love comes from God. God. That there is a source that we see in verse 7. Love comes from God. And not only that, but it also says there in verse 7 and 8 that God is love. Not that love just comes from God, but that God is love. We've been reading a book in our proto staff meeting. I would have never thought eight years ago we had six people in a proto staff meeting. It's been wonderful. And one of the books that we've been reading has talked about this. And it says that it's not the case that God is just beautiful. In truth, God is beauty. It is not the case that God is loving, but in truth, that God is love. That God is the infinite standard against which every other love must be measured. Now, if you're here today and you're not a Christian, you've said, look, I have not been convinced of this. This is not where I stand Did you just honestly say that nobody outside the church loves? Because it would be easy to see that from 7 and 8, right? If you don't know God and if you don't love God, you cannot love. And so you ought to stop and and think about this for a minute. There is this reality in Scripture that human beings are created in the image of God. And they're created to love And that sin has affected every part of our lives and that no part of our lives is as it should have been. But because of God's grace, his common grace to all humanity, none of us are as bad and as wicked as we could be. None of us are. And so is there love outside the church? Yes, there is love outside the church. But I want you to pay attention to the love as it is defined here in the same way that you would pay attention if you went to the eye doctor. I would have not thought eight years ago I'd be in front of you having to wear glasses. I hate it because I can't read without them, but then I can't see you with them. So I'm back and forth. It's driving me nuts. But you remember when you go to the eye doctor and the machine closes and he goes, is it better this way or this way? Is it better this way or this way? How about this way or this way? And you're always afraid he's going to give you the third way, right? Because you can't remember the first or the second at that point. I want you to see that what God is doing here is he's saying, I want to show you what love is. This is what love is this way. So how is that love defined? What is love? How is it defined? Verses 9, 10, and 11. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God abides in us and His love is perfected in us. Verse 9 is very clear and says that love has been made manifest among us. It has been defined for us. And I want to use this definition of love, and you see if it fits in these verses. That love is a disposition of favor that leads to acts of sacrifice. Love is a disposition of favor that leads to acts of sacrifice. Look at it again. In this, the love of God was made manifest to us, that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. God loved us, and that disposition of favor led to the sacrifice of the union between the Father and the Son that was eternal from its beginning, before of all time. That this is the definition of love. In verse 10, it goes on to say, In this is love. It's even clearer for us, right? It's even clearer. Not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to also love one another. This is love. God's love toward us that led to this act of sacrifice And it hangs on this word propitiation, doesn't it? That God loved us and he sent his son into the world to be the propitiation for our sins. Now I want you to think about this because it's important and in just a minute you're going to start smelling barbecue. And Aaron Roffle pointed this out to me the other day. He goes, does every minister you know smoke meat? And I was like, well, I I do. I, I love it. And he goes, he goes, but it's kind of consistent with the Old Testament, isn't it? And I was like, yeah, I guess it kind of is consistent with the Old Testament. The sacrifices were always brought to the temple, right? And you know what the priest had to do? The priest had to prepare the meat. And guess what? You prepared the meat with the priest when you came to the temple as the head of your household. You came and you prepared the meat that was going to be sacrificed and put on the mercy seat of God... To pay the price, to absorb the wrath of God that was rightly directed at you. That's what this word is about. That Jesus is our propitiation is not a word that you just want to dismiss because you don't know how to pronounce it and you have no idea what it means, but is a word that has more meaning to you than you could ever imagine. Because what it means is that it is. The way that God is appeased of his wrath by the love of God through the gift of God. That Christ is for us God's wrath absorber. That because of our sin, we rightly deserve the wrath of God and Christ absorbs it completely. And God sent his son... Because He loved us and He gave us the gift of Christ to receive the wrath that should have been ours that we might be set free. And that's what love is. A disposition of favor that leads to acts of sacrifice. This is not important to you if you don't care about sin. It is not important to you if you don't care about God. But, if you are convinced that there is a holy God, and if you know that you have failed, that you have failed in his commands, to love him with heart, with soul, and with strength, this means everything to you. By the time your sacrifice would have been ready, you'd have been covered in blood. And the priest would have said, you, wait there. I am going to take this in to what is called the mercy seat. Same root word here as the propitiation, the place where the propitiation would be given. And he said, you wait here, covered in blood, and I'll take this in. And it will receive. The wrath of God. You see, the whole sacrificial system pointed to the one who would be the Lamb, the Lamb of God who was slain for our sins. And if you know yourself to be a failure, this verse means everything to you. This verse demands a response. Verse 11 says this simply, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. My favorite story is the first guy that ever told my wife he loved her. He said, hey, I, I love you. And Mita was so taken aback, she goes, well, well, well thanks. <laughs> you know, and you're like, do I mean, I guarantee that guy didn't work up that statement of I love you to get a thanks back, right? No. And in the same way, Discovering the love of God for us demands a, 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 a response. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And then this statement that blows your mind, and it ought to. No one has ever seen God. Has anybody ever heard those words put together before? Maybe by the same writer John. Maybe in the first chapter of the Gospel of John when he says no one has ever seen God. But Jesus came so that we might see Him, is how he answers that in John 18, John 1:18. But here he says something different. He says that no one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and His love is perfected in us. Very quickly, the invitation to live in this reality this reality of God's love. By this we know that we abide in Him and He in us because He has given us of His Spirit. The Gospel writer John is writing this because he remembers Jesus' promise. I'm going to give you my Spirit. And my Spirit is going to remind you that you are children of God. And that I love you. And it's going to convict you of your sin. and It's going to convict the world of its sin. To realize that this propitiation is for you. Will you believe? To abide in this love is to abide in him, the gift of the Spirit, to live in the reality of this love. John goes on to write and he says, we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and believe that the love that God has for us God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. Believe in Jesus and love one another is the command that John writes in 1 John 3. Jesus is the one who said it to John in John 13 when he said this new command I give you, that you love one another and that we abide in this love. It's spoken as a single command. And I want to plead with you if you are here today and you have not put your trust in Christ, be reconciled to Him. Jesus is on offer for you today. Will you trust in Him? For those of you who have trusted in Him, will you lean on Him again? Will you abide in love Will you consider this command to love the church? What does that reality look like? It says in verses 17 through 19, by this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. This is an amazing thing that when we abide in love, when we love one another, God's love is perfected in us. It's completed. It accomplishes that for which it was sent. You know that it says in Isaiah that God's word never goes out from him and returns to him void, but always accomplishes what it was sent for. So it is with God's love. It's not just sufficient. To transform you. It is efficient. It does transform you and me. That God's love changes us. The love of God originates with God. It is manifest in Christ. And it transforms human beings. So that human beings can gather together in a community that is without fear. Because judgment has been determined... It says that we can have confidence on that day of judgment because we know that in this life we are as He is now. In other words, we know that we are justified and glorified before God and there's no more fear of punishment. That is gone because Jesus drank the wrath of God to its dregs. Do you who have yet to be convinced of Jesus see why it's so great? There's no punishment. There's complete freedom. There's freedom. There's freedom. And there's confidence. I don't remember the name of the workout place. You guys know it. But there's one workout place and its definition is the judgment-free zone, right? Well, I doubt that. And not if human beings work out there. We're judging each other left, right, and center. Do you want to know what is supposed to be the beginning of this judgment-free zone. Right here. Made up of women and men and girls and boys who have confidence and are not afraid. Because punishment has been dealt to Christ. And forgiveness is ours. The test is the end. Verses 20 and 21. The test. Look at it. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother and sister, his brother and sister is what that means. For he who does not love his brother and sister, whom he has seen, cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother and sister. Loving each other is not everything that it means to love God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength, but it is an indispensable part of that command to love the Lord our God with all of our hearts, with all of our soul, and with all of our strength. And I want you to look around at the people whom you are called to love. A disposition of favor that leads to acts of sacrifice. If he has loved us, so also ought we to love one another. To hate this is to live in light, is to to live in hostility to this light. God is light. God is the one who shines into our hearts and defines us as sinful people. We don't define each other as sinners. We don't pick out the sin that we want to attack to somebody else and say, because I see this in your life, you're a sinner. God is the God who defines sin to be sin in light of him. But those who hate their brother and sisters live in hostility to this light. They reject it. And they avoid its fear. Funny how things trigger in your mind. Studying that this week, and all I could think of was meet the parents. All I could think of is when De Niro uh, looks at, uh, is it Ben Stiller, I guess, and, and says to Ben, did you not get what I said? Do you not understand what it means to be inside the circle of trust? Uh, Once you're out, you're out for good. And there's no coming back, is what he says. And Ben looks at him and he goes, I don't know what you're talking about. It's beautiful. It's really funny. I can tell. I want you to hear this command of love. On it hangs all of the law and the prophets, on these two commandments. God is serious. A disposition of favor toward each other that results in acts of sacrifice. How many times in eight years have I been outside the circle of trust? How many times have I failed this? Let's try daily. But because of Jesus, do you know what marks our community? Forgiveness. Forgiveness. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, this is what is on offer for you. If you're here today and you are a Christian, what does resting and reminding each other of this reality look like? What does it look like for us to sacrifice? to actually have acts of sacrifice toward one another here, literally. Jesus said, if you love one another, people are going to know you're my disciples. Jesus also said, if you live in unity with one another, people are going to be convinced that I was sent from the Father, that I really am the Savior of the world. Isn't that what we want? Isn't that what we want? That unity. We come to the table. Communion. Communion right here. And at this table, we relish in this reality. At least, at least, this table ought to be for you and me a place where we rest. Because our priest doesn't leave us. Jesus. The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world says to you, Come and sit with me. Let me remind you what I have done. Taste it. Smell it. Touch it. Be convinced. I have given you myself. And maybe shortly we'll be moved to go outside. And praise God from whom all blessings flow for what he has done and is doing in our community. Pray with me.